Well, good morning. Welcome to worship wherever you are worshiping at. All of you here in Golden Valley Worship Center, all of you over in the chapel, all of you at our Minnetonka campus, and anyone who is watching online somewhere else in the world, we're so glad that you are with us. Now, have you ever noticed that people today seem to be less trusting than ever before? You know, compared to 5, 10, 25, 50 years ago, it seems like there is a lack of trust amongst people in our country these days. But maybe make it more personal. How about you? Are you more or less trusting today than you were in the past? Well, it's probably not news to anyone, but study after study tells us that trust in America is at an all-time low today. I mean, we've been through countless traumatic experiences in the past years, and there's an endless feed of information and ideas and opinions and preferences, and it seems like we're bombarded from every side, and we wonder what is true and what is not true, and so we start to wonder, who or what can we trust? Gallup, the polling organization, has studied this time and time again. And they found that trust in institutions in America is at an all-time low. In fact, there are only two institutions that a majority of Americans still trust. Number one is small businesses. 68% of people say they trust small businesses. Number two is the military. 64% of Americans say they trust the military but only 45% currently trust the police and 38% trust the medical system. And only 31% of people say they trust the church or organized religion. Now at the very, very bottom of the list, you can probably guess, only 11% of Americans say they trust television news. But what's the very lowest on the list? Congress. Only 7% say that they trust Congress. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, that seems way too high, right? (laughs) But I think for a variety of reasons, many of us feel like our trust has been betrayed. People we thought were supposed to be authorities, people we thought were supposed to have our best interest in mind, don't. And we don't know who we can trust anymore. We wonder who is actually telling us the truth. Now, social media, of course, has not helped this whole situation because anybody can put on a lab coat and film a video and claim to be an expert. And they can tell us that everything we thought we knew is wrong or false and that somehow there's a conspiracy going on. And so we end up again wondering who or what can we trust? And this is also played out in the realm of faith and Christianity. There are thousands upon thousands of YouTube videos and TikTok videos challenging the key tenets of our faith. There are channels that are devoted to just trying to poke holes in scripture or in the Christian faith. And just like anyone can claim to be a doctor, anyone can claim to be a theologian or an expert on the Bible. 
On top of all of that, all of us from time to time struggle with questions of faith and even doubts about our faith. We all have moments of crisis and we don't know where to turn. We don't know who we can trust. You know, maybe at a young age, at a church you attended, you were told, you know, this is just the way it is. Don't ask so many questions. Don't doubt it. Just go with it. Or in fact, a refrain that was used in many churches across the country is simply this. God says it. I believe it. That settles it. It kind of closes the door on asking questions, on investigating what the truth is. And again, the implication is, you know, don't rock the boat. And so many of us grew up thinking the church is the last place that we can ask hard questions, that we can investigate, where we can learn more. So in August, to prepare for the series that we're in, we asked a simple question of the church. We said, what are your biggest questions of faith and Christianity? And one of the themes that many people had was questions about the Bible. And kind of boiling it down, the big question was, can I really trust the Bible? Because many people today think, well, the Bible is just another collection of myths. You know, it's a collection of bedtime stories and fables. It's not any different than any of the other big anthologies that have been put together, you know, Grimm's fairy tales. I mean, that's basically what the Bible is, isn't it? And there's other people who think, you know, isn't the Bible just outdated and irrelevant and impractical? I mean, what does it have to say to this year when it was written so many years ago? And there are other people that the Bible simply makes them nervous and even opposed to Christianity because they've heard some of the difficult and challenging stories and passages that it holds Now, I want to acknowledge that there are many compelling and many complicated and many confusing stories and questions that are in the Bible. And it can cause us sometimes to be bogged down and even become stuck. You know, questions like, was Noah's flood localized or globalized? Why did God choose to treat Job like he did? Why did Jesus only heal some people? and not others. I mean, what's up with the end times? I mean, one guy's got a timeline and it's all figured out, and then some other guy has a completely different timeline. So what about the end times? Or are the six days of creation in Genesis literal or figurative? Again, there are many, many compelling and confusing questions that we can get stuck with. You know, for many years, a vast majority of people had at least an elementary knowledge of the Bible. They knew the main characters, some of the highlights, especially the highlights of the gospel. But you know, today, it's pretty common for someone to have an advanced education, someone to have gone to college and maybe even grad school, to be considered exceptionally well-educated and have almost no knowledge of the Bible at all. But the thing is, the Bible, year after year, is the very best-selling book in the entire world. And it is the most influential book in the world. 
But yet today, many people have no idea who wrote it, how it came to be, and much of anything about what's in it. But there's not just a lack of knowledge today. There's also profound skepticism. For many, it's just expected that they should be repelled by and even reject Christianity. It's common for people to enjoy pointing out all the negatives, but to rarely highlight any of the positives. In fact, there are probably many people today in our country who would be very hard pressed to say anything positive about Christianity or about Christians at all. Now, one area of great skepticism for many people today is about how the Bible actually came to be. There have been all sorts of intriguing novels written trying to make it into some sort of secret conspiracy. And so maybe we wonder, well, how do we know that the Bible we have in front of us or the Bible we have downloaded on our phone or our tablet is the same as it was 2,000 years ago? You know, what if it was just a big game of telephone and, you know, one person told another and it's been handed down so many times that what we have today is not at all what was meant to be 2,000 years ago? Well, if I had time for a multiple hour lecture, pause, some of you just woke up for a moment, I am not giving a multiple hour lecture, all right? But if I had time for that, I could go through all of the evidence and the thousands of manuscripts that came together from eyewitnesses which show the historical truth of the Bible. More evidence than any other major historical event that our culture just automatically believes in. But since we don't have that time, I'm going to recommend three books if you would like to do your own investigation, if you'd like to research these big questions. The first book I would recommend to all of you is The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. But if you want to go a little bit deeper, there's a book called Is the New Testament Reliable by Paul Barnett. And if you want to do a deep dive, there's another book called The Historical Reliability of the Gospels by Craig Bloomberg. Now, I use these books and also some key teachings by pastors Tim Keller and Rich Nathan to prepare this message. But here's what you need to know. No matter who the Bible scholar is, whether they are even a practicing Christian or not, there is almost unanimous consensus that the Bible we have today, the Bible you have downloaded on your phone, is almost identical to what was recorded 2,000 years ago. But you know, even if one accepts that assertion, it's only natural then to ask, but how do I know that it's trustworthy? How do I know that I can put my trust in the Bible? And so at the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke, Luke, one of Jesus' biographers, he writes this. He says, Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use, use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. 
See, Luke is explaining exactly why we should trust what he has written about Jesus. Look at verse one. He's pointing out that all of these events didn't happen long, long ago in the past, but they were actually current events for first century Christians. They happened in recent memory. But then in in verse two, he says that they're using eyewitness reports. Again, this isn't secondhand information. This is directly from the people who were there. And then in verse three, not only that, Luke, who is a doctor and was highly educated, he says he carefully investigated everything. He went to make sure that whatever he wrote was accurate and true. And so then in verse four, he said, the reason for this is so that we can be certain of the truth of everything that we're being taught through the scriptures. Now, Luke is writing this to a man named Theophilus. Now, Theophilus seems to be someone who is very familiar with the stories of Jesus. But at the same time, he's apparently wondering, are they actually true? Can I trust them? Did they actually happen the way that is being said? And so Luke is writing so that he can know with certainty that these events actually happened. But you know, today, you might be asking the same questions that Theophilus did. You might be wondering, are these stories of Jesus true? Can I trust them? And so that's precisely why Luke wrote his gospel. So how can we know? Can we trust the Bible? Are the gospel accounts of Jesus's life historically accurate or are they just nice little bedtime stories? Well, I believe there are two very important reasons that you can trust the Bible. Number one, eyewitness testimony. As Luke mentions, the stories that he tells are based on the accounts of the people who were actually there. And since Luke is writing his gospel only about 30 years after the events of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection happened, many of the people who gave firsthand accounts to him were still alive. They were sitting in the same churches as his readers So for instance, Simon of Cyrene, the one who carried Jesus's cross for him, maybe he was serving on the guest experience team that Sunday. Or Cleopas, who encountered the risen Christ on the road to Emmaus, he's up front serving communion. And so Luke is saying, go ask them for yourself. If you don't believe me, go and ask them, did you really see the risen Christ? You know, the most pivotal moment and event in history is Jesus's resurrection, which is super hard to wrap your mind around, right? Because dead people stay dead. So how in the world are we supposed to believe that this actually happened? Well, the apostle Paul, who wrote his letters only about 15 or 20 years after the events He wrote this in 1 Corinthians 15. 
He says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Basically, Paul is saying, there are plenty of eyewitnesses to go talk to. And it's not just the insiders. It's not just the 12 disciples. Over 500 eyewitnesses saw the risen Christ. And most of them are still alive. Go take them to Starbucks and ask some questions if you still have them. Now, still, I think the most compelling proof in his list is the name James. James was Jesus's brother. What would your brother have to do to convince you that he was raised from the dead, right? I think James being an eyewitness is a huge proof for the truth of the resurrection. But then number two, there is also Jesus's own testimony Now, throughout the Gospels, Jesus quotes from all different parts of the Old Testament, from the law to the histories to the prophets. And he obviously wanted us to see that we too can trust the Bible, just like he did. But then, of course, you might ask, well, why should I trust Jesus? Why is he an authority that we should listen to more than some guy on TikTok or YouTube? I mean, again, we all wonder who can we trust today? Our defenses are up. So what makes Jesus unique and trustworthy? Well, it's because Jesus is the only person in all of history who predicted his own death and resurrection and actually pulled it off, right? And because of that, we should probably go with what he says. Jesus has unique authority. But again, you might be thinking, well, how can I be confident? How can I be sure that Jesus actually rose from the dead? Well, here's some compelling evidence. Number one, the empty tomb. If Jesus's body had still been in the grave, some Roman soldiers would have grabbed it and brought it out and just dispelled the whole thing. But they didn't because Jesus's body wasn't there. And before you think, well, they probably stole it, remember that a gigantic stone was rolled in front of the tomb and then it was guarded day and night by 16 different Roman soldiers. And if any of them didn't do their job, they would be instantly executed. Now, it was also a common thing in the ancient world to go on pilgrimages to visit people's graves. It was believed if you were at an influential person's grave, you were closer to God and God would hear your prayers. But here's the thing. Even though there are tons and tons of manuscripts and recordings of people taking pilgrimages to all sorts of different graves, there is no recording of anyone going on a pilgrimage to Jesus's grave. Why? 
because his body wasn't there. The grave was empty. A second reason It's again, the power of eyewitnesses. The early Christians were convinced of his resurrection because they talked to people who met the risen Christ. Most of the 12 disciples went to their death, never recanting their testimony of meeting the risen Jesus. But I think another very compelling reason to be confident in the resurrection is the very first witnesses. The very first witnesses to the empty tomb and to the risen Christ were women. Now this is actually a huge deal because in the first century, women were not valued at all. In fact, women were not even allowed to give testimony in a court of law. And yet all four of the gospels tell of women being the first ones to witness the empty tomb and to meet the risen Christ. And this was a super easy thing for pagans to attack. They would say, your religion is based on the historic or the hysterical testimony of women. You see, if the gospel writers were making up this whole story, they never would have depended on the testimony of women. And then number three, the impact of the resurrection. Now in the centuries before and after Jesus's time, there were many, many Jewish messiahs who came and went. Now, one of the most famous was a guy whose name was lost to history for about 1800 years. Like we knew he existed, but nobody knew what his name was. But then in the 1950s, during an archaeological dig in a cave in the Middle East, a manuscript was found, and they had his name. His name was Simon Bar Kosiba, and he was one of the most powerful and decorated Jewish military leaders. And all of the rabbis during his time started to believe that this was the promised Messiah. But you know what happened to him? Just like the other supposed messiahs, he was killed by the Romans. And then his name was lost to history. Why? Because no one follows a dead messiah. But why does Jesus still have billions and billions of followers today, 2,000 years later? It's because he didn't stay dead he rose again and he appeared to hundreds upon hundreds of people. And the movement grew exponentially around the world and people were even willing to give their life for it because they had seen and experienced the risen Christ and it changed their life. And person after person trusted in him knowing that because of him, they too would rise from the dead. Now, I know what you might be thinking. I thought this was supposed to be a message about the Bible. So why in the world are you talking so much about the resurrection? Well, again, we live in a day and a time where we don't really know what to believe or what or who we can trust. 
We all experience information overload. We have access to more ideas and opinions from every side and every point of view. We don't know who or what to trust. But I think we're not only facing information overload, we're facing life overload, aren't we? Overwhelmed with tragedies and loss and hurt and broken hearts. We turn on the news and horrific things like what's happening in Israel today. We're faced with those kind of things again and again. And deep down, we know that this is not the way that the world is supposed to be. And we can't help but wonder, what in the world is God up to? We're caught in a storm of questions and doubts and uncertainty. Not sure where to turn and not sure what to believe. Now, living in a broken world like we are, it's only natural that we are going to have questions and struggles and doubts. But amidst the storm that we all face, you need a place where you can find a solid foundation to stand on amidst all of the craziness. You know, where we can say, I may or may not understand everything right now, but this, this is a hill I'm willing to die on. You know, I may or may not know whether Noah's flood was local or global. I might not know why God treated Job the way that he did. I might not know why Jesus chose to heal some people and not others. I don't know how the end times are gonna exactly go down or whether the six days of creation are literal or not. But I'm gonna stand firm in faith on the solid ground of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When everything else seems shaky and unstable, we can stand firm on this truth. Because Jesus died and rose again, I can be confident that he is who he says he is. I can be confident that God's word and God's promises are found in the Bible. I can be confident that Jesus is worth giving my whole life to. Jesus is worth giving your life to because he is different than every other authority or leader, or expert, or institution, or philosophy that has ever made promises to you and then has let you down. Because he is good, and he's safe, and he is worth following. So do you still have questions? We all do. It's part of being human. It's okay to ask questions and to express your doubts and your struggles. If you've ever been told that questioning the Bible means you are compromising your faith, that is dead wrong. Asking questions, digging into the history and the context does not mean you're abandoning your faith. But let me encourage you to spend some time exploring the historical evidence for the resurrection. Start with the gospel stories 
And make sure as you dig in that you pursue Jesus over everything else. Church, it's so easy for us to get sidetracked and even get obsessed with the subplot, with the minute details, instead of focusing on Jesus. You know, today we had the joy of celebrating the giving of our third graders Bibles. And it's great for them and for their families, but it's meant to be a reminder for all of us to stay rooted and grounded in the word of God because that is precisely where we will find and meet the risen Christ. Now, Martin Luther had a great quote hundreds of years ago. He said, scripture is the manger in which we find the Christ child. The main purpose of the Bible is to give us the gift of Jesus. In the end, our faith is not grounded in all of the arguments and opinions and preferences and man-made categories and theological minutia that we can get bogged down with. No, the Christian faith is based on one historical event, the resurrection of Jesus, which changed the world. So let's trust and follow him. Amen. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for the gift of your word, where we learn about your heart and your character. We learn about your grand plan for humanity, that you weren't content to let us stay in our sin and our brokenness, but instead you intervened in the most creative and powerful way by sending Jesus. God, as we dig into your word, help us to never lose sight of the main idea. Help us to never lose sight of the gift that you've given us in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so God, as we go from this place, help us to follow you more closely and help transform us more and more into the image of your son. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus and let's all say together, amen.